This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new book, Wired for War, The Robotics Revolution and Conflict in the 21st Century, our guest today, P.W. Singer, looks at the revolution taking place on today's battlefields. It's changing not only how wars are fought, but also the politics, economics, laws, and ethics that surround war itself. Singer is Senior Fellow and Director of the 21st Century Defense Initiative at the Brookings Institution. His first book, Corporate Warriors, The Rise of privatized military industry pioneered the study of private companies providing military services for hire, an issue that soon became important with the use and abuse of these companies in Iraq. P.W. Singer, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm doing good, doing good. Real good, and it's a fine day in uh, D.C.? A little bit colder than it is uh, in California there, yeah, so uh, okay. <laughs> a nice, uh, a nice thirty-two degrees when uh, I got yeah. up this morning. So. Haven't, haven't quite. Sh- uh, haven't, spring has not arrived quite yet. Uh, no. <laughs> well, now, last time we spoke with you years ago, you were doing corporate warriors. At what point in time did you develop an interest in robotics? Is this like a a, a lifetime interest, or is this something that came up from your studying of uh, Blackwater and uh, and uh, mercenaries? Well, it's a little bit of both. It's definitely a lifetime interest because, you know, like many other kids, uh, I was one of those who played with, you know, Star Wars action figures, and uh, my bed sheets had R2-D2 on them. So <laughs> it's not surprising that I would write a book one day about robots. But um, there is a thread that links these two issues, and actually another book that I did, which was on um, child soldier groups called Children at War. And it's the fact that the sands are shifting underneath us when it comes to war. You know, we have this assumption of war and who fights it. And if you say the word warrior, an image probably comes to your mind. It's probably a man in uniform. And if it's a man in uniform, then there's other assumptions. Well, they must be in the military. They must be working for a government. They must go to war because of patriotism, because of politics. But when you look at war in the 21st century, that assumption isn't true. You know, we have soldiers in uniform, but we also have private military contractors working for us. And that was what um, Corporate Warriors was about. You know, we have more uh, private contractors in Iraq right now than we do U.S. soldiers. Children at War was about another dark change in who fights war. It's not just adults. It's now increasingly children. One out of every ten combatants in the world is a child. And now this new book, Wired for War, is about what I think is maybe the most fundamental shift in the who of war, that we are starting to use machines to actually do the fighting for us, that the machines of science fiction really are starting to come true. Well, right now we're using drones in Pakistan. We're probably using drones in a lot of places. Can you talk a little bit about that and just exactly how it works? You know, what are we talking about here? Who's in control and, and what are they seeing? The numbers of um, the use of these systems is a lot bigger than I think most people realize. You know, we went into Iraq with a handful of these drones, these pilotless planes, UAVs or what they're called. We now have over 7,000 of them in the U.S. military inventory. We went into Iraq with zero unmanned ground vehicles, ground robotics. We now have over 12,000 of them in the military inventory. Mm. 
And the systems that we're using today, you know, things like the Predator drone, things like the PackBot, which is a ground robot that's made by, actually, it's made by um, the iRobot company. If you're familiar with um, not just the Isaac Asimov novel and the not-so-great Will Smith movie, but um, it's a real-world company that makes the Roomba, the little robot vacuum cleaner. Yeah. It also makes the PackBot, which is a military robot that does things like diffuses uh, these IEDs, these roadside bombs. Well, so these systems that we're using today, you know, we may be using lots of them, but there's two things that come out of it. One is that we're using more and more of them. One of the people who appears in the book is a Air Force three-star general, and he says, you know, look, very soon we're going to be talking about conflicts in which we're using not thousands of robots, but tens of thousands of robots. But the other thing to remember is it's not going to be tens and thousands of today's Predator drones or PackBots. These are just like the Model T Fords, the, the Wright Brothers flyers, compared to what's coming. Because in technology, of course, you have Moore's Law. And so they're getting better and better each year, smarter and smarter, more and more lethal. And so that takes the whole idea of killer app, killer application, and really does give it a new meaning. Are we getting to the point where, um, because you're talking about the increasing sophistication of these things, we're getting to the point where they actually can recognize people. In other words, I know that uh, there's a, a rather famous uh, case of the, a drone taking out a very high-level Al-Qaeda, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Al-Qaeda um, official in Pakistan not too long ago. I know it was just something that I, my understanding is that he just blew up a, a building he would happen to be in. But are they getting to the point now where they can begin to recognize specific uh, individuals? They have some incredible technology, including on um, target recognition software um, and also the pinpoint precision that they allow and integrate that, for example, with artificial intelligence. Um, to give you a sense, uh, the Reaper drone, which is the next generation version of the Predator drone, it's smart enough that if it sees um, footprints across the field, it knows how to backtrack off of those footprints to see where they came from. Um, they also have you know, capabilities in terms of uh, their ability to carry out operations. The Global Hawk drone, for example, it's the replacement for the U-2 spy plane. Mm -hmm. The Global Hawk can take off on its own from, from San Francisco, can fly on its own across the U.S. to the state of Maine. While still in the air, it can stay up there 24 hours hunting across the state of Maine for any terrorist using everything from high-powered cameras to radar to electronic intercept, you name it. And then at the end of those 24 hours, it can fly itself back from Maine to California and land itself. And again, this is a system that's operating right now. Mm -hmm. it, we're not even talking about what it's going to be like 15, 20 years from now. But, you know, what interests me, and this is what the book is really about, isn't so much the technologies, is think about the dilemmas that come out of it. So you mentioned, you know, the ability to do um, face recognition. Well, think about it this way. To a robot, an 80-year-old grandmother in her wheelchair looks just the same as a bin Laden or a T-80 tank. All of those are just zeros and ones in the programming language. And so there's no sense of empathy. There's no sense of guilt. And you also have these fundamental questions of, you know, how do you take laws of war that were written in the 20th century and apply them to these 21st century technologies? 
Yeah, how does any of this apply to the Geneva Convention? I mean, how? And, uh, We're speaking with P.W. Singer. The book is Wired for War. And on that, do you, do you see developers uh, trying to come up with uh, uh, technologies to be able to tell the difference between Grandma and Bin Laden? Or are, are they moving on to other things and leaving those ethical issues out of the picture in their development? Well, there's a couple answers to that, and it's a great question. Um, for the companies themselves, they're really not looking at these issues of uh, law and ethics all that much, other than, as one of them described, we just have to make sure the system works out as planned. It's a product liability issue for them. Um, within the field, there are some people who think that you can build robots that are more ethical than humans. But the problem to me is that you know, you're talking about a machine. It can't be moral by its very nature. It's just the programming, you might argue that way. But remember, you know, you have these disconnects in capabilities. So a um, sword system is this little machine gun armed robot. It's about the size of a lawnmower. That system is so pinpoint precise that using a machine gun, it can hit an apple from hundreds of yards away. So it turns a machine gun into a sniper rifle. However, that machine can't tell the difference between that apple and a tomato, which any two-year-old can tell. It's something natural to humans. And so that's really the, the, the challenge for us is these exponential growth and capabilities, but we haven't caught up in our sense of ethics. And, you know, you mentioned the Geneva Conventions. There's this great scene in the book where I went around interviewing people and one was, for example, at Human Rights Watch, where I wanted to get a sense of these, you know, answer these questions. And two of the senior leaders at Human Rights Watch got in an argument in front of me as to, in these situations where a robot kills the wrong person, which would you turn to? And one guy argued that it was the Geneva Conventions. The other guy argued, no, 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 it's the Star Trek Prime Directive. Wow. And it just kind of shows how, you know, we're really yeah. grasping at straws right now with with all yeah. of this. Well, 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 since, I mean, going back to the uh, to the development of uh, nuclear weapons, and Einstein basically said we, our ability to understand and, and, and to uh, internalize our, these weapons have far outstripped our ability uh, to bring some kind of moral clarity to these things. I mean, we're... Technology is outstripping our ability to assimilate and to be able to figure out how it is that we use web. How do we walk back from this brink? Because what you're describing to me is essentially the the cusp of of in, of the amount of uh, slaughter that can take place through these machines that is unspeakable. It's, it's, we I don't know that we have any idea what we're uh, uh, about to unleash on ourselves. Well, it's interesting. I went around, you know, and, and the book's not a dark book. It's, it's, you know, got a lot of neat, fun stories that come yeah. out of it because it reflects going around meeting with anyone and everyone that connects to this robot's trend. So, you know, everything from meeting with the scientists who are building these systems and, you know, some have concerns that they may well be recreating the same mistakes that the atomic um, uh, bomb inventors did, you know, building something and then going, whoa, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Um, meeting with the science fiction authors who inspire them. And I thought that was really fascinating mm -hmm. because sci-fi is often the people who bring up, you know, these ethical dilemmas. You know, sci-fi doesn't tell you how to build the bomb. Science fiction is, says, you know what, you might get Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But also people on the military side, you know, what it's like to be the 19-year-old drone pilot sitting in Nevada 
what it's like to be the four-star general who commands them. What do the people who are not using robots think about this? And um, there's another interview that I think connected in a strong way where um, he's a special operations officer, and he was just back from hunting uh, terrorists in Afghanistan, and we're talking about how you know these drones were above him at the time. And the concern of this U.S. military officer was, um, as he put it, anything that makes it easier to kill is not necessarily a good thing. And I thought that was just a, an incredible way of describing it. But, you know, there's other perceptual things that we bring into the book. You know, what do the Iraqi insurgents think about our systems? What do they think about us using these systems? What about um, news editors in places like Pakistan or Lebanon? And that may be another aspect of this in terms of um, unexpected consequences, because we're using these systems because they save American lives. And I remember meeting with one guy from the Bush administration who said, you know, these systems scare the other side. They're scared of our technology. But what if that's not the case? And actually, one of the people I interviewed in Lebanon is the leading um, newspaper editor there. And he described how, no, 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 you using these systems shows that you're cowards, that you're not man enough to come and fight us. And so it's this disconnect in this so-called war of ideas that we're fighting against these terrorist groups. It's a disconnect between the message we think we're sending versus the message that's actually being received. Uh, is this a matter of... Uh, in why we're building these things. Do you think it's a matter of divorcing ourselves from responsibility, or do you think it is just that technology is driving this? When you talk with people in the field, they say, you know, look, it's the three Ds that are driving this. It's that when it comes to war, you are the weakest link. And these three Ds are robots are particularly good for jobs that are dull, dirty or dangerous. So think about it this way. You know, can you keep your eyes open for 30 hours straight watching empty desert sand? A robot can. For jobs that are dirty, you know, can you operate in a dust storm? Can you see at night? Can you operate in a chemical or biological warfare environment? A robot can. And then I think the biggest driver right now in our politics is the dangerous aspect. Mm -hmm. That is, you can send a robot out, and as one of the um, people who appears in the book is a commander of one of these units that uses robots, and he says, you know, the good thing about them is when they die, so to speak, I don't have to write a letter home to someone's mother. And there are literally hundreds of American soldiers that are alive today because of using these robots. But, you know, again... That's just the start of the story. That um, ability to carry out operations with less cost may also be seductive. It may get you into more operations that maybe you shouldn't be doing. And I think that's one of the issues right now that surrounds these um, predator drone strikes into uh, Pakistan, where we've had more than 50 of these strikes over the last year and a half. But, you know, we don't talk about it in our media or in our, in our politics. You know, it's basically the equivalent to the Kosovo War in terms of the number of bombs and missiles we're dropping, but no one's covering it because they're unmanned bombers. No one's at risk on our side. We're speaking with P.W. Singer, and the book is Wired for War. And you just exactly – I've been reading about this over the last eight, nine months, and that is that increasing agitation on the part of Pakistan – over the destabilizing nature of these, uh, the use of these predator drones coming into their country, their sovereign country, and uh, by what justification is the U.S. using to to do this when, by at least on its face, it appears to be 
a violation of a, a sovereign nation's territory. Well, think about it this way. You know, you're, you're made the commander-in-chief. You're made President Obama for the day. Yeah. And on one hand, you have these technologies that are incredibly effective. We've gotten 11 out of the top 20 al-Qaeda leaders with predator drone strikes, not with boots on the ground, not with man bombers. The majority have been with these drone strikes. And these are bad guys. They're planning a repeat of a 9-11. And they're hiding out in an area that if you didn't do those drone strikes, if you sent in troops, you know, because the Pakistani government isn't doing anything about them, well, if you sent in troops, you'd have a lot of American soldiers killed, you'd have a lot more civilians killed, and you'd probably not get that 11 out of 20. But it's not that easy, because there's also the long-term consequences of it. And I think a really good illustration of this is that last year, one of the most popular um, uh, pop songs, rock songs in Pakistan, was a song where the lyrics actually talked about America carrying out, and this is from the lyrics, heartless terrorism, killing people like insects and not having honor. That's the perceptual game of it on the war of ideas. And so you have this challenge of, you know, you may be getting really, really good at killing leaders, but you may also be making it more likely that that 12-year-old boy joins that organization. Right. This is the crux of the matter, okay? We've had people come on uh, uh, the show. Ray McGovern at one point described this war on terrorism as we can either put snipers out in around the swamp and try and shoot the mosquitoes as they come out, or we can drain the swamp. And the, 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 the Bush administration seemed bent on shooting the mosquitoes to just keep shooting them as they came out of the swamp. And I'm hoping that we can drain the swamp here, which uh, what, by that I mean we can begin to turn this idea that America isn't there just to destroy their society, but is there, in fact, in some way to help facilitate some sort of uh, accommodation and rebuilding and I, yeah and 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 that's what we're it seems that that's what this is about we feel it seems that we feel we can just keep killing and if we kill enough people this problem will go away and what you're describing is a very destabilized society that's always had a problem governing itself getting worse and if we think it's bad now this will look like the good old days if pakistan and afghanistan completely fall apart, which isn't that far from happening. Yeah, it's. I think you, you lay it out very well that it's not just the ability to kill, it's that it's creating the context so that people don't look at these terrorist leaders as heroes, as supporter, as hiding them out, but say, no, no, these are criminals and I don't want to join them. And until you focus on that context, you're just going to lock yourself into a cycle of this having to do it over and over and over again and actually sparking potentially more terrorism. Yeah. And I think, you know, that for me, the sci-fi parallel here is that, you know, we often, when we think about robots, we think of sort of the clean and shiny world of, you know, the Star Wars movies. But actually, it's, it's more the grimy, dirty world of movies like The Blade Runner. Um, that's where we're headed in terms of, we are using more and more robotics, but it's playing out in our very ugly human world. So what is the percentage of money now that, def that uh, is being spent on robots in terms of the military budget? How, how fascinated are, have we become in terms of real money? 
Oh gosh, it's it's you're talking tens of billions of dollars, and and most importantly, uh, you have a defense budget right now that's going to stay pretty flat. But there's one part of it that is going to be growing, and that is unmanned systems, without a doubt. And actually, you can see that in, um, for example, Obama campaign documents pointing out that you know these systems are both revolutionary and also they're the ones that the soldiers on the ground ironically enough, want the most. We're only meeting about 5% of U.S. soldiers' requests for predator drone footage. So we're going to see more and more of this. And, you know, one of the, um, in the book, you also get to visit these robot factories and the people who build them. And one of the, um, he was a VP at one of these companies, and he said, look, before 9-11, no one would return our calls at the Pentagon. After 9-11, we were told, build them as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. We're speaking with P.W. Singer. The book is Wired for War. And, and you uh, advised President Obama, didn't you, regarding uh, robotics? Were you partly responsible for that paper that you're talking about? Not just robotics. Um, I served as coordinator for the Obama campaign's uh, Defense Policy Task Force. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was obviously a exciting and, and a time and, you know, very, very proud of that. And yeah. also the team we put together. Would you advise him to, to put this kind of money into robotics? I think you. Um, this is a revolutionary technology, and yeah. it's something that makes a great deal of sense. And it does, uh, as, that, as that soldier put it, save American lives. Yeah. But, and I think this is something that um, President Obama has you know, been pretty good at, is you have to look at the broader consequences of your actions, and you have to put them in a broader context. And most importantly, you can't just plan for the war that you want, a la Donald Rumsfeld. You have to be expectant that things are not always going to work out perfectly, and it's more the war that you get you got to be ready for. Now, how close are private uh, companies to getting hold of this technology? I, mean, I assume that that Z or Blackwater has, <laughs> yeah. has some have drones right now. Uh, are they? Are they uh, armed drones? That's one of the other sort of interesting things that comes out of the book. A lot of different stories about that is that, remember, these technologies, um, they don't need a big industrial structure to build. A lot of them are commercial, off the shelf. Uh, you know, for $1,000, you can build your own version of a Raven drone, which is one of the military-grade drones we use in Iraq and Afghanistan. And... So what that means is that just like software has gone open source, yeah. so is warfare. That is, more and more people are able to use these technologies, build them themselves, even improve on them. And you know, you mentioned the private military company aspect. You know, there's a, a sort of funny but uh, illustration of this in the book where um, a group of college kids wanted to do something about the genocide in Darfur, so they held a fundraiser and actually ended up raising about a half million dollars upon which these college kids entered into negotiations with a series of private military companies, one of which offered them the rental of a set of drones to fly over Sudan. And these college kids are doing the negotiations out of their dorm room. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, was, no, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, they could be flying the, the drones out of their dorm rooms, I, I assume. <laughs> when you're talking about it takes only $1,000 to put one of these together, are, are, 
are you talking about the whole package? I mean, the control system and the the drone itself. This is one of the smaller ones, the Raven drone, which okay. is like a it's a um, hand tossed drone okay. uh, that you know can fly several miles. So soldiers use it, for example, they want to see what's on the other side of that hill. I well, now you. they don't have to rely on the Air Force to tell them; they'll toss their own drone to do it. And of course, the, there's a darker side to this too, which is the potential cross with terrorism. You know, um, yeah. Hezbollah may not be a state, may not have a military, but during its war with Israel a little over a year and a half ago, it flew four drones back at Israel. You know, one of the other guys who appears in the book is a um, scientist who works for DARPA, and he says, um, look, if I wanted to, if you gave me $50,000, I could shut down Manhattan today. And that's this flattening effect that technology can have right now because, again, it's not things like the aircraft carrier or the atomic bomb where you need this big industrial structure to build them. Anyone can access and utilize these systems, and they're also startlingly easy to use, you know, to learn how to use. One of the other uh, guys who appears in the book is a um, 19-year-old drone pilot who's a high school dropout. Uh, He joins the army to make his dad proud of him again, and it turns out because of video games, he's a natural at flying drones. He turns out to be so good at it that the army brings him back from Af- from Iraq and makes him an, ins- an instructor in the training academy. He's a high school dropout. He's 19. He's not even an officer, and yet he's now teaching other people on how, how to fly drones. It is a brave new world. It re- it, I mean, honestly, this just, just sounds, uh, we have got to have some kind of regulation here. There's got to be something uh, that uh, that is in place that can monitor, at least let us have some idea what's coming. I have one quick question for you, P.W. Singer, and I hate to throw this at you at the last second, but it's been something I'm reading about lately in uh, Israeli uh, attack on Gaza. It, dime, a dime bomb. Do you know what those what this entails? A dense inert metal. Oh, uh, this is yeah. The the um, there has been rumors of utilizing this new technology, which um, uh, is highly. It's very lethal, but doesn't leave much of a trace. Right. And um, they've been finding these explosion sites where they have box-sized dots in the walls from the shrapnel coming out. Um, and the question that surrounds all of this, and it again connects to the issue of uh, using drones, is what are the laws of war yeah. as they apply to new technologies on one side, and then at the same time targeting these insurgents who are hiding out in hospitals and schools. So both sides of the laws of war are under pressure. Okay. I just was curious whether or not, I know there's. I don't know if there's confirmation of the use of dimes. We've been developing these dime bombs, which essentially send out a lethal mixture of a tungsten and a fiberglass that penetrates the skin and eventually, and it is 100% to cause cancer. Mm. If you don't die from the explosion, you die within about four months from the from a, a high concentration of carcinogens. And I, I just, I, it's a, once again one of these weapons that just, I'm just completely flabbergasted by. Thank you very much. <laughs> On that happy note, P.W. Singer. Uh, uh, it's a great book, by it the is, way. It is, by the way, yeah, it, it really is. It should be on, on uh, every politician's table in Washington, D.C., so they have a, a, some sort of grasp of what's going on. Yeah. The book is Wired for War. The author is P.W. Singer. Thank you for being here on Weekly Signals. Appreciate it. Take care. 
To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.